Okay, can you hear me? Well, before I before I pray, I wow, I got an echo here. Uh, before I pray, I just want to remind you that I was reminded that this is Sunday night. What does that mean? It means that the message has to be shorter. So if I go with the flow, if I go with a steady flow, we'll be out of here in, in good time. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks for this time that we can meet together. Open your word. And Father, as, as I bring this message tonight, I really pray that you just get me out of the way and let your word speak. And Father, that people can be edified. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in chapter 3 tonight of Second Peter. Now, you might remember uh, way back in June of 220, or 2022, I tried to bring a message on First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1 titled, Instructions to Avoid Stumbling. And I, I thought, well, that, that's a, that would be a good message to share with people. And then Vince had brought up a message from chapter 2 on false teachers. And I said, somebody has to do chapter 3. You know, you don't do one and not do two, and then you don't, you got to go with the flow. And so, evidently, Vince figured I would be the guy to do that. And uh, I really, I really do uh, hope it's going to be edifying for you. But before we, I want you to turn with me to chapter 1 for just a little bit. Because I want you to be reminded of what this Second Peter is all, all about. He says he wants us to keep a close watch on our hearts. To guard our hearts. And the only way to do that is through the Word of God. But he lists seven things there that we should add, diligently add, to our faith. And I want to read them for you, starting with chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 5, starting with that. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is Moral excellence. We can't have moral excellence unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit guiding our life. All right? So add to your faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. And this is not just intellectual knowledge. This is experiential knowledge. And then he said to knowledge, self-control. Self-control is probably one of the most difficult things for some of us. Then he said to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Verse 10. 
Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So what I want to do tonight is I just wanted to remind you. The whole book of Second Peter is reminding. We need to be reminded. And so the title of the message, I don't have any slides, so it should go pretty smooth. <laughs> so the title of the message is, What Will We Do? And I, I really, I want you to know I work really hard on this outline for this, for this message tonight. And uh, what I ended up doing is just, you know, if you have a New King James Bible, um, whether it's a study Bible or not, uh, I don't know about that. But in the Bible that I have is just a, a regular, it's not a study Bible. But over the, over the chapter, there's, there's certain headings of sections of, of the chapter. And so what I want to do tonight is... Over my Bible, uh, before it starts chapter 3, it says, God's promise is not slack. So let me read. What I like to do is I like to read the section that, that I'm going to talk about and then go back and, and look at it. So let me do this right now. Starting with verse 1, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both with, of which I stir you up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be re- mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us and the, of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly ignorant that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, or being, yeah, being flooded with water, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing. Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's where my section stops, right there. So what I want to do is look at these verses. First of all, he says, I want to stir you up. Now, we've heard that from this pulpit a few times over the last 25 years that I know of. Stir up. What does it mean to stir up? It means to agitate. It means to get you going. It means to get, put it in action. And Peter says he wants to stir us up. He says, I want to stir up your pure minds. What's that? Do we have a pure mind? What's it mean? Just a few things here. 
It means unmixed, genuine, sincere. So he wants to stir up our sincere minds. Warren Wiersbe says it is possible to have a sincere mind and still have a bad memory. How many of you really loved your family and you can't remember the names of your children? You know, you can have a sincere mind. I used to, it used to drive me nuts. My mom would call me my brother's name. I'm the firstborn son. And she can't remember my name. And I'd say, Mom, I'm not Alan. I'm Junior. <laughs> and so, uh, but she had, sometimes when you get distracted with things, you lose your memory over Whatever. I don't know if you've ever called your kids by the wrong name, but it does happen sometimes. I have a question. Why do you think these believers had to have their memory stirred up? Don't answer. I'll, I'll answer for you, okay? Because we've got to keep the flow going. I'll tell you why we are. Why, why we, people have to have their memory stirred up. Because we are prone to wander and stray. I like to share the illustration that we are, we're put on a straight and narrow road. Are we not? Jesus said there's a narrow road, there's a wide road that leads to destruction. Once we're saved, we're put on the narrow road. We need to keep walking that narrow road. But every once in a while, you know, we've got guardrails on roads that are narrow. Why? So you don't go over the cliff or you don't go over the hill to get hurt. So we've got the guardrail there. We're, we're being guarded by the Holy Spirit. He's inside us. But you know what? When we can get distracted, we go this way. We bump into the guardrail. Maybe our foot steps on something sharp. We cut it or scrape it. And it's a reminder, hey, get back over here. And so we are prone to wander and stray. Verse 2 says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Peter's referring to the apostles of Jesus Christ. It is they and they alone. Now get this, not new, not new prophets today, not new apostles today. They're all gone. It is the apostles only that are on equal grounds of authority with the prophets. Then in verse 3, he says, knowing this first. There's, when you start something, you've got to have a first, right? You gotta, when you're running a race, you have to come in either. You, somebody's going to come in first. So he says, knowing this first, the scoffers will come. That's a good thing to know. They will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. And David Guzik says, these words remind us that scoffers are not, do not only have intellectual problems. Intellectual problems with God and his word. They also have a clear moral problem. I think we can see that in our day and age. They're wanting to reject the lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives. 
They want to live in their sin, and they want to promote it to the world. In verse 4, he says, And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, <laughs> I don't know about it. I've been saved for 49 years. And you know, when Joyce and I were first married 46 years ago, I told her, I said, you know, I, I really wish we could have more time together, but I think the Lord's going to come back in five years or so. And, uh, you know, and then when you, when you talk about the, the rapture or things ending in, in this world, people look at you and think you're crazy. Everything changes, you know. Nothing, they're saying, yeah, it's, it's been like this since creation. And, uh, you know, they're just uh, all messed up. But it, there's going to be a time. We'll see that. So he says, and they and and they and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all the things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." Now, as I was preparing this, I was reading some different different commentaries, and William McDonald says this. He asked a question about the about the uh, his coming. Do they mean Christ coming for his saints, which speak of the rapture, like in 1 Thessalonians? It is doubtful that these scoffers know anything about the first phase of the Lord's return. It is possible this could be included in their thing, or I'm sorry, do they mean Christ coming with his saints and set up his universal kingdom in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? It is possible this could be included with, in their thinking, but it seems clear from the rest of the passage that they are thinking of the final judgment of God on the earth or what is commonly called the end of the world. I was sharing yesterday at the breakfast that when, when I was in Vietnam, there was two songs that laid out that played out almost constantly. And Dwayne, you might remember this. These two songs were written in 1965. One of them was, We Gotta Get Out of This Place. The other one was, Eve of Destruction. And, you know, everybody was singing, We Gotta Get Out of This Place, you know. If it's the last thing we ever do. I wrote my mom a letter and I told her she was, she was worried about me. And I said, Mom, I'll, I'll come home some way, either in a box or, or alive. You know, that didn't sit well with my mom. You know, so I'm just a stupid kid, you know. But one thing for sure, the scoffers are going to keep going on. And uh, it's just, it's a sad situation. Oh, this, hold on, I got to get my note back here. I turned it too fast. Trying to keep a flow going here. The scoffers, uh, the definition of a scoffer, what is that? 
to treat with contempt, to mock and ridicule, or to scornfully disregard authority and truth. You know, when, a few years ago, I was watching the, the news, and uh, one thing that really got to me, I know Vince's message this morning was convicting um, about laughing and, and making fun of, of all the things, or wanting, actually we could include wanting harm to come to somebody. But I remember when they had a, a gay pride thing going on and a guy had it held up a sign and he said, when Jesus comes back, we're going to kill him again. You know, that just, I said, Lord, why don't you just blow this guy right out of the world? You know, and uh, that was the wrong thing to do. But, you know, they just, they just want to push it and push it and push it, you know, that's scornful. So verse 5, for this, they willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. I was looking at this. Hold on a sec. My mouth is dry for some reason. I was looking at this and I, I thought, what does that mean? The earth was, the, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And, of course, I have things going through my mind, and they're not always correct. But I found this little note. This refers to the land appearing from the water on the third day of creation. And so, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, and so on. And so... Um, it refers to that. It, at least this is what this one person said. But he says this, or Peter says this. Let me read that, five and six together. For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. Peter met the argument head on. He was, he was quoting some ancient history. The earth was here by the word of God. Water by the commands played a significant role in the early creation of the earth. And so, water was used in destruction of the earth in Noah's day. In verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And we can find that in Revelation chapter 21. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. See, he starts out with, I'm here to remind you. He says that a couple of times here in, in, first, in the three chapters. I'm here to remind you. Do not forget this one thing. 
that the Lord with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. I was speaking with someone a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. When you get old, sometimes time just, you can't keep track of how long it's been. And they said, well, you know, the, the Bible says one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. So it took 6,000 years to make, to make the earth create everything in the earth. Well, that's not what that means. Let me read it again. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the, with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Verse 9, they go together. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, I am thankful that the Lord didn't come back in 1972. How about you? Been saved in the last 20 years, maybe the last five years? Aren't you thankful the Lord hasn't come back? You know, if he came back in 1972, I'd be in hell. But he didn't come back because he's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. And he says he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. So what, are, what will we do? What's our, what's our position as a believer in Jesus Christ? We need to share the gospel with people. He's waiting. He's patiently waiting. And then... He, when, whenever the time comes, some people think when the last soul is saved, he's ready to come. He's going to come. I don't know. God has his own timetable. But I know one thing. He's long-suffering. Sometimes you remember your past and you, your heart just has to go out and be so thankful for God's mercy and God's grace. But people have to repent. They have to have a change of mind of who the person of Jesus Christ is. And the only way they're going to do that is if we go and we share the gospel with them. Not very many people get saved just by reading a book. They do. It does happen. But most people get saved because somebody cares enough about them to share the gospel. He's long-suffering Okay, that's enough for that. Okay. <laughs> Verse 10 through 13 says this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's going to be when nobody's expecting it. We look at this passage. And a lot of people say, well, that's a nuclear thing because it it talks about everything's going to be dissolved and the only way to do that is with nuclear. You know what? God don't need nuclear power to destroy it. All he's got to do is speak it and it's going to happen. But what manner of persons ought we to be? Paul tells us that Christians ought to live soberly Righteously and godly in the light of Christ's return. It's certain return in Titus 11 through, 13, 11 through 15. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Verse 7. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Looking for and hastening the coming of the, of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. God has a set day this will happen. What are we to do? What will we do? You know, we're not going to be here at this time. The rapture is going to take place before that. But we want people to go with us. We should be eagerly desiring something will happen. And believers are not to fear the day of God, but eagerly hope for it. How many times have you sat around and said, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, get me out of here. It's a crazy world we live in. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth 
in which righteousness dwells. Now some people say that the, the earth is just going to be uh, remodeled. If he's word, if the word, I don't know. It says it's going to be dissolved. It's going to get it. It's going to do away with, and God's going to create a new one. Some people are worried. Where are we going to be if the if we're going to if we're going to be in heaven when this happens, and the heavens are going to be dissolved? Where are we going to be? And some people get all shook up about it. One guy says, don't, don't get all shook up. Don't pull your hair out over it. God has it in control. He can transfer us from one place to the other with no problem. We just trust in him. So. But there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All right. Verse 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved... Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in, his, in all his epistles, speaking of them of these things, in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scripture. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. What are we to do? What will we do? He says, therefore, looking forward to these things. Are we looking forward? We should be diligent, sincere, reminded. We're reminded of it. He says, how should we be? Without spot and blameless. And consider the long-suffering. Why should we consider the long-suffering of our Lord? Because there are people still going to hell. There are people that are going to end up in the lake of fire. Because they make a profession of faith. Some make a profession of faith. And their lives never change. And yet they say, I belong to Christ. You know, it's a true thing that we live what we believe. Or what we believe shows up the way we live. And if there's no change after we profess to have Christ as our Savior and have our, have our sins forgiven and we live the same way that we did before, it's a lie. But the Lord is long-suffering. 
You know, people hear the gospel and they hear the gospel and they hear the gospel. And one day, we hope that the Holy Spirit convicts them and lets, opens their eyes to say, yes, I need, I was living a lie, I need the Lord Jesus as my Savior. He says, therefore, verse 17, he says, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware. What did we start with? Peter says, I want to stir up your mind. I want to stir up your memory. I want you to get going. I want you to remember what the Lord has done for you. Why? So you don't fall from your own steadfastness. And how can we fall? He says, being led away with the air of the wicked. Sometimes we get distracted. We need to keep going. I'm going to close with this. I got this from Chuck Swindoll. He said, Peter's theme in his second letter is a simple one. Pursue spiritual maturity through the word, through the word of God, as a remedy for false teaching and a right response to heretics considering Christ's promised second coming. When false teachers begin to whisper their sweet words into the ears of immature Christians, the body of Christ begins to break up. I want to read that again. When false teachers begin to whisper their sweet words into the ears of immature Christians, the body of Christ begins to break up, to lose what makes it distinctive in the first place, faith in the unique person and work of Jesus Christ. Peter repeatedly points to the Word of God as the primary means of growth for the Christian. So how do I apply this? How can we apply this message? As with the recipients of Peter's letter, we all go through difficult times. Those trials seem to hit us even harder when the source of the struggles come to someone or somewhere close to us. We know intuitively this is, a true, this is true in our personal lives. Marriages go bad. You have an unwed daughter, unexpected pregnancy, or an abusive relationship with a relative, but it holds true with the church as well. Believers can create dissension in multiple ways. You probably didn't know that, right? To guard against that kind of discord, both in our families and our churches, God's people need to know who he is. Our knowledge of God through his word is the first line of defense against the conflicts that threaten to tear us apart. As Peter wrote, 
Be on guard. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. But grow in grace and knowledge, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've got a note here, personal note. With that in mind, what means are you taking to grow in your faith? What means am I taking to grow in my faith? Let's take time to guard our minds with the proper knowledge of God so that we may not drift off from the path that God has laid out for us. The whole book of 2 Peter is about remembering, about guarding our heart. I keep, when I think about that, I keep going back to the, to the Johnny Cash song, Keep a Close Watch on This Heart of Mine. It's not a gospel song, but boy, it sure has a good uh, illustration for it. That's what Peter's asking us to do. Keep a close watch on our hearts. Well, I think I made it okay. I hope that this was edifying. I hope it was encouraging. I hope if the Holy Spirit convicted you, then you deserved it. I deserve it. We need to stay on guard for our souls and to watch out for opportunities to share the gospel with other people. Kent? All right, if you'll go ahead and stand for the closing song.